The views expressed in this podcast are those of the guest alone and do not reflect the opinions of Business Talent Group. This information is not legal, financial, or tax advice and is being provided for educational purposes only. Investments mentioned in this program may not be suitable for you or your organization. You should make your own independent decision regarding them or talk to a licensed accountant, lawyer, or financial advisor to see what's right for you. Welcome to Insights on Demand, a podcast from Business Talent Group where we discuss the latest developments in the future of work and other pressing business issues. Today, we're excited to present a conversation between Jennifer Napier, Chief Marketing Officer for BTG, and Peter Wolkwitz, a senior IT consultant and executive who helps companies overcome complex challenges and stay ahead of industry trends. As an independent BTG consultant and executive, Peter has led clients' IT departments and their technology planning, has led enterprise blockchain implementations, and helps organizations create robust blockchain, e-commerce, POS, CRM, and organizational strategies. Peter has been involved with blockchain since its inception, including several evolutions of blockchain tech. He writes and speaks extensively on the topic of blockchain and cryptocurrency. He joins us today to talk about a few of the biggest trends shaping the market right now, including blockchain, cryptocurrency, and decentralized finance. Without further ado, here are Jennifer and Peter. Hi, Peter. It's great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Jennifer. You know, it's really great being here with Business Talent Group and discussing a topic I'm I'm so passionate about right now, but also realistic. And uh, it's something that is essentially changing the world as, as we speak. Absolutely. Well, we're all hearing a lot about blockchain right now. And for those of us who are new to blockchain technology, me included, can you describe what it is? Uh, yes, uh, you know today blockchain encompasses a lot of different areas and uh, has really expanded into thousands of different use cases or business cases. Some are incredibly complex, and any of these topics can often be a you know lifelong career choice or a lifelong focus or spend 50 hours a week on. So we're not going to try to digest the whole you know concept of blockchain here, but you know on the on the surface you know blockchain's been around since 2008 that's kind of really when it really came to inception the modern incarnation of what blockchain is and uh it's been more commonplace and more in the common nomenclature for i would say the last few years but it's already impacted many industries and technologies out there the first time i understood the concept of blockchain i thought it was beautiful you know there's no better word to describe it i, I think beauty is the word that comes to mind and I have a background in physics and, you know, I remember back when I, when I was much younger in college and I remember the first time I fully understood Einstein's general theory of relativity and I thought the same thing. Beautiful. This is just, it, it's, it just goes together so perfectly. It's the same thing I thought of when I really understood blockchain. It's just how, how, how it's beautiful, how it works together. It is, it's a perfect system of trust um, and records and checks and it just, everything comes together. And that, that's why you're seeing the popularity of blockchain right now is because it does have that that beauty behind it, where things just seem to work perfectly within it. But to get into describing a little bit what blockchain is, you know, at its base, it's all about the blockchain. A blockchain is simply a digital record of transactions, not that much different from a database, but it's not a database. It's all decentralized, meaning the records exist on many different systems. And uh, any transaction added to the record needs to be validated by the majority of nodes to get consensus. You hear that word consensus a lot. And that essentially, you know, means that the ledger providers need to come together and say, yeah, that's a valid block. And yes, we, we give our stamp of approval to it. And the ledger, which is a historical record of transactions, that's where all that information is stored. The key point is there, it's, it's very hard and often impossible to go back and change that ledger once it's already written. And that's one of the great things about blockchain is it's a, it's a very good historical record of assets and transactions involving um, assets. And transaction is a key word here. So you need a transaction of some sort to have a blockchain. Um, and that's what, you know, if you keep that in mind, it's kind of relatively easy to understand blockchain. It's keeping track of transactions. That's what it does so well. That there's probably three or four key words that kind of really describe blockchain and, and, and what makes it unique. And I think consensus, which I already mentioned is one of them. And that's just, everybody has agreement on that blockchain to the same rules. We all understand what the rules are of that blockchain. Um, another one is provenance. Provenance is really the history of that asset on that blockchain is traceable. You can go back and see the history of that asset, whatever the asset is. And when I say asset, it, it could be crypto, it could be a building, could be tokens, could be digital art, could be anything. I mean, asset can really almost be anything on a blockchain. 
immutability. And what essentially that really means is that once a record is on a ledger, it can't change. Um, and it needs, it, it, it's permanent. Um, and that's a great thing about security, a great thing about history um, of assets on a blockchain is it, it, it's permanent. And the last thing is probably finality, which I call it, which is we don't have people breaking off and saying, hey, you know, we want a different ledger. We don't want to follow that ledger that you guys are following. So it, it, it had, it's one ledger for the entire network and that, that's very important. And just one last note, and then I'll, then I'll cut a little bit shorter here that there's a lot of different areas around blockchain. And I think the top three that are most forefront today are enterprise blockchain, which I, I, I used to call it blockchain for business. It goes by both names. And that's really how businesses are using blockchain to enable their transactions. And we're seeing a lot of that already, you know, any major business either has a plan for blockchain is already using blockchain. A lot of organizations out there use blockchain for a lot of things. And, and that's really the whole world of blockchain for business or enterprise blockchain. And then there's cryptocurrencies, which I think everybody's familiar with. Everybody knows what cryptocurrency is today. There's Bitcoin, there's Ethereum. However, one important note is it's important to separate blockchain from crypto. You can have and use a blockchain without crypto. Hyperledger, for example, is, is uh, uh, a heavily used blockchain that does not have a, a cryptocurrency attached to it. So even though crypto is one of the great uses of blockchain, you can, you can have blockchain without crypto. And the last area that is probably one of the hottest areas in the last, in the last I would say 12 months or even less is decentralized finance. And this is really banking without a bank. And it's lending, borrowing, earning interest via blockchain solutions. And that, that's one area I'm just incredibly excited about. Um, it's, it's something that's talked about, it's growing so fast, it's changing every day. And then um, lesser known, but just as important areas out there, you know, around blockchain are, you know, smart contracts. You may have heard the term smart contracts, and this is really what Ethereum is known for. So now you have smart contracts that can fulfill transactions in the future based off external events. And that's all in the blockchain. It's all secure. It can't be disputed in the future. Um, and so smart contracts, very important concept within, within blockchain. There's ICO, initial coin offerings, and I won't go in depth on that, but it, it's really initial public offering IPOs, but much simpler, faster, and a better way of doing it. And uh, decentralized apps is another one, or, or they're called dApps. And I guarantee many of people listen, many people listening right now have already used dApps that are you running on blockchains and haven't even realized it. And uh, that is really technology where it's really applications that sit on top of blockchains. And uh, that's something that, uh, again, you run into them every day. And every once in a while, I'm surprised that uh, some of the applications out there do run on blockchain. We have uh, decentralized exchanges, uh, often called DEX. They're essentially, imagine the New York, New York Stock Exchange with no central authority, open 24-7, very low transaction costs. Again, something newer that very excited about. Um, stable coins, just touch on a couple other things very briefly here. Stable coins are essential crypto that is tied to a, to a stable asset, like a US dollar, like gold, something that doesn't move a lot. So you have something like Tether or USD coin that, um, it's roughly paid to the US dollar, so it always has a one-to-one -one relationship and there's mechanisms to keep it that way behind the scenes. But but what this gives you instead of, if you wanna you know, transfer money from a US bank account to a German bank account, um, right now you kinda gotta go down to the bank, fill out some paperwork, pay some fees, get, get you know, not the best exchange rate. It may take a few days. Well, with stable coins, it takes a few seconds, costs cents for as much, much money as you wanna transfer. And it's a better way of just moving money around. Um, staking is another one. So staking is another concept around blockchain that if, if you own cryptocurrency, you can, you can kind of give up access to that cryptocurrency for a little bit to actually earn more of that cryptocurrency. It's based on the whole mining concept. But uh, again, so if you do own cryptocurrency, you should look and if it's a crypt cryptocurrency, you can stake and then you can actually make more of that cryptocurrency back. And that's just another little feature. Um, last one here is really a token, tokenization of assets is another benefit of the blockchain. And that is, it allows you to take assets, break them up and sell them or distribute them and have ties back to it within the blockchain. So if you want, if you own an apartment building, you want to sell equity in that apartment building, you can tokenize it and just sell it to investors. And they always have a, a trail back to that asset. And that also relates to 
uh, non-fungible tokens, NFTs, which you've seen, I mean, geez, even in the last couple of weeks, I think I've saw an NFT go for over a million dollars. And I think it, I think it was some uh, digital art. So if you imagine digital art, if, if you're an artist and you typically would, you know, do it physically on canvas and you'd sell that, it's, it's, you know, that's a work of art. It's, it's, it's done by you. You can prove that. Well, what if you did do digital art? What if you do art on online or do a, you know, an image? Um, how do you prove that that's yours? How do you have it have value? And that's where non-fungible tokens come in. You can attach it to a digital asset to prove that that digital art is there and it's on the blockchain. And I think that's a that's something we've even seen in the last couple of weeks, just some some high values there for some, some digital assets. So those are kind of the, the major areas, Jennifer. And I just want to kind of get that all the way out the beginning and just kind of specify that that's all the areas of blockchain. And then again, it gets so complex that, you know, I, when I talk to high school kids, even college kids today, and, um, you know, they're interested in economics, they're interested in finance, they're interested in technology, they're interested in math. You got to know blockchain. It, it's going to be part of your career, maybe even be your career. And I think that's very important to, to get that out there. That that's, that's what's happening. It's changing. It, it's coming quick. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it is a lot of the future here. And I'm, I'm, and I'm a realist around blockchain, and I still say that. So um, it does have problems, does have issues. And uh, I, I think uh, that, that's where the future is taking us. Thank you, Peter. That was that was a fantastic setup. So I love that you started off by talking about how it's it's all about beauty. And you mentioned a couple words I wrote down here: trust, um, consensus, transactions, permanence, um, finality, and um, all of those together make me think about uh, security and trust. So tell me a little bit: how secure are blockchain networks? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. That is, you know, top of mind for for many businesses, especially if they want to actually use you know some of the blockchain technology out there. But first off, we have one thing, I think one thing we have to realize, no major blockchain has ever been hacked. And a lot of these have been around for 10 years and there's billions and billions of dollars in incentive to hack these. Um, so it's proven to be one of the most secure technologies ever. Um, however, you know, there, there is crypto exchanges, there's smart contracts that are layered on top of these blockchains. There's decentralized apps that are sitting on top of blockchains that have been hacked and they can be hacked. And that just follows the policy of any application you develop, it can be hacked just because of flaws in the application. And when we think of block, blockchain is really not an application. It sits below an application. So those things can be hacked. And even with, but even when we get down to the essential blockchain, there, there are some potential issues which fall in the world of security. There's something called 51% attacks where you can have occlusion or have a miner have control over the transaction ledger, have greater than 50% control over the transaction ledger, and then going about and duplicating transactions or changing historical transactions because now they have the control of that integrity of that ledger. And uh, we did see that happen. We saw it with the with a cryptocurrency called ETC. And I think that was maybe like six months ago about or so it did happen. Again, a small cryptocurrency, not that big of a deal, but uh, we won't see you know Bitcoin or anything like that be be subject to 50, 51% attacks anytime soon. But it is something out there for the smaller cryptocurrencies and the smaller blockchains where that can happen. You also, we've seen what's called double spend. And that is, uh, and I won't get into forks here, but when you have a, uh, a blockchain fork, either a soft fork or hard fork, it is possible to have a, a window in there. We can have double spend, which means I can spend the same cryptocurrency twice, which means, you know, that shouldn't happen in a blockchain. But it has happened and there has some people that uh, that have done that in the past with some some cryptocurrency forks. So, you know, it can happen. Those are I mean, those are things that can happen at the blockchain level. Everything else is really at the traditional security level at the higher higher side. Maybe the only other thing to bring up on the, the blockchain side is quantum computing. Uh, the great thing about quantum computing is you can take cryptography and you can solve it very quickly. So what would normally take a regular computer a million years, a quantum computer could potentially do in hours. And at the heart of blockchain is this kind of uh, this kind of hashing that um, could be broken by a quantum computer. But we have to keep in mind, the internet runs on the same type of hashing. And if a quantum computer is gonna break a blockchain, it can also just break the internet and shut down the internet. So we have a bigger thing there. And one great thing we have about crypto cryptocurrencies and blockchains in general is we can update those. We can update the logic behind them. So we've already seen even some blockchains actually already put in some uh, some triggers against quantum computing type of hacks. And so again, 
look at the big ones, Bitcoin, Ethereum, things like that. Those those aren't going to come under quantum computing hacks because those have active development networks, active people behind them that'll actually make sure that won't happen. But some strange esoteric uh, blockchain out there that nobody's really heard of that doesn't have any development support. Yeah, I mean, it could it could be broken by quantum computing in the future. And I think so. So I think those are probably the top areas of security to worry about right now. Um, but it's not to say that somebody won't have other ones in the future to worry about. Okay, so I shouldn't be worried about security or I should be worried about security. So you shouldn't be worried about blockchain security. So the actual blockchain, don't worry about that. That's fine. Don't worry about it. You should be worried about anything you do on top of the blockchain. So again, I compare it to your, like you're using a, a, an Oracle database. I mean, you can tr- kind of trust Oracle that they do a good job with their database, that the security around that database is pretty good, but you can do an application on top of that. You can develop an application on top of that database and that application can be hacked to get in that database. So it's the same with, with blockchain. And, and, and so there, there's only risk there and what you put on top of it, but that risk is no greater than what you typically do when you develop an application. Okay. Okay. And I want to make a note that double spending, that's also something I do. I believe I double spent the money I saved on not taking spring break last year because of the pandemic, but that's, <laughs> that's for another topic. Okay. So let's turn to, you mentioned enterprise blockchain or how businesses use blockchain. How are some, how are companies using blockchain right now? Can you walk us through some examples? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I, I actually help companies implement enterprise blockchain solutions. So I'm very familiar with this and, um, you know, most of what I've done there has been around supply chain and um, supply chain already. I mean, just to, just to kind of talk about how deep it already is, when you see those big crates being shipped, o- over half of those are already tracked on the blockchain when they're shipped around the world. Um, so you're already have, having things like that happen and it, it's gonna be up to 80% soon, I think even by the end of this year. So supply chain, tracking goods from, or even parts from, from manufacturing all the way through purchase, all the way even through warranty, we're already seeing that used. So Hyperledger is one of the technologies used there, and that's actually a, a, one of the blockchains without without a crypto attached, and it's it's a private blockchain. And we're seeing that used very much with supply chain. So that that's a big area. Um, healthcare. So there's over you know 15 well notable companies that are that are implementing blockchain in healthcare, and that's really for mostly right now the use case is is, is storing patient data and records and protecting access to those records. And I, I think, you know, so we're going to see a lot more in healthcare. I think the innovation around blockchain is still coming there. It's a little bit behind just because of the, you know, the monster shift within healthcare to actually get anything implemented and get it a change done. But it, it's coming. It's coming quick. Factum is one that, that I've seen around that uh, is doing a lot on that space already in healthcare. And then we have some more obvious ones, which are just obvious, you know, business use cases, payments, you know, banking and payments. We've seen Ripple, you know, already, you know, you know, started to uh, disrupt kind of, you know, uh, payments and, and banking transactions a little bit. And uh, there's a lot of other ways to do that. We're, you know, you know, even PayPal and Visa is talking about, you know, disrupting kind of uh, payments. But the real benefit, I mean, the last few years has been on international payments. It's been moving money quickly and cheaply, you know, across across borders. And I think that's been one of the big benefits for business that a lot of times they they don't realize it, but if they're paying an invoice from overseas, their institution or their their service they use is likely already using blockchain to make that payment. So it's already, it's already, it's already being done in that space. We already talked about smart contracts a little bit and really in businesses, any transaction you have can be, can be put into a smart contract. So think of all the uh, agreements that you have as a business. Now imagine those being put on uh, blockchain with, with smart contracts. We're already seeing that happen a lot. We're seeing even legal and attorneys and lawyers get involved in that space to, to put things on smart contracts. And I've actually even uh, utilized contracts already on smart contracts for businesses. Asset tokenization, I, I touched on briefly, but that's just really, if a business does have an asset and they want to distribute that asset uh, safely and securely and have a record back, they can really tokenize those assets. And that asset again could be anything, anything you could imagine. Another big impact that um, I think we'll see more of in the future is really the the kind of the person-to-person type of services that blockchain offers. Right now, you know, I, I always say, you know, where does this lead us to, to, to go with some of these P2P services? How are they disrupting business and how business should get involved? I, I use the term Uber without Uber. So in the blockchain world, you no longer need Uber to, to get a ride to, to, be a, to be a customer or be a driver. Um, you can take Uber out of the equation and the, and the money they take, you can, you can 
you know, use that as savings. Um, and we're seeing that in other areas um, where that trust is needed, but you know, that, that is one, I think a good example there. You know, getting back to a little bit, also goes into healthcare a little bit, the whole concept of digital identity, having your identity on, on a blockchain and having you having control over that identity. Uh, so we're already seeing some like civic, we're already seeing platforms out there where if you're a business, you can actually utilize these platforms for, for identity and identity resolutions. Uh, content and ads, if you're in marketing, already happening. Um, Brave. Brave is a browser that's a blockchain browser. It's the fastest growing internet browser in the world. And it allows, if you create content, it allows you to get paid for that content through the browser technology. And if I'm a user, if I'm using that, that if I'm using the Brave browser, the great thing I can do is I can choose whether I want to see ads or not. If I don't want to see ads, that's fine. I don't have to see ads. If I want to see ads, um, I can get paid for viewing those ads, even have them you know, pop up in a window or watch an ad video before I hit a website. I can get paid for those. And likewise, I can pay websites. I can pay content providers through Brave, even automatically if I want to. If I, if I enjoy their content, every time I go out and read an article from X company, I'm, I'm going to send them their BAT token, which is, which is Brave's token. Um, so you're seeing great things there. Uh, there's other, there's other uh, content providers. There's authoring. Um, tokens out there that uh, is, you know, essentially hold networks around contents and ads that you can provide content, get paid for. So it's, it's, it's great being a content provider in the blockchain space. There are ways, the ways to monetize your, your content much easier now. A um, couple more here. So capital raise, you know, I talked about ICOs a little bit, but as businesses are looking to raise capital or looking to tokenize assets, it's really, you know, how do you do that in the blockchain world? And now we're seeing changes there very quickly. We're seeing, we're already seeing companies, you know, doing, um, getting their, you know, from a stock perspective, having it all blockchain based, we're already seeing that happening already. So, you know, I think where, where, you know, where is this all headed? I, I think, you know, enter, enterprise blockchain, it's going to be seen as the primary business technology for business transactions. And again, I use the word transactions there. It's not going to replace a database, a, a big database. It's not going to replace a large scale ERP system or any type of large system you use but it will be at the heart of all transactions. So I, I think of you know blockchain and on the enterprise world is more of a platform. It's a platform to build off of, it's a platform to utilize and it's taking long steps there. And, and again, it's accelerating into businesses as we speak. So what I'm hearing is it's really across all industries and sectors, blockchain as a platform for business transactions, is that correct? Yeah, I you know tell you the truth. I mean, I every once in a while I think of a, a vertical or an industry where hey, I don't I don't think blockchain will apply there, and then it does. And uh, so it, it's I, I I I can't think of an industry that doesn't apply to. There's not a there's not a use case for and a good use case not and a good use case for not a not even a made up one, just like a use case that'll probably be used at some point. So I haven't you know I haven't seen it yet, and which, which surprises me actually. And do you have one super unique use case that you've seen so far? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, one, and this is one super unique use case that's on the business side, that if I go back to like 2009, 2010, when I kind of understood Bitcoin, I mean, wow, you know, this is perfect for self auditing. Why doesn't a company or somebody or a government or a charity use Bitcoin, record all the transactions on the Bitcoin ledger? And then, you know, where all the money came from, you know, where it all went, you have the self self-auditing, you can do all the analytics on those transactions in that whole self-auditing mindset. And I'm really surprised that hasn't caught on yet. I would have imagined by now, if you would ask me back, you know, 10 years ago, I would have expected all local governments to be, you know, using Bitcoin and be self-auditing. So anybody can go in there and see where the money came from, where it went. Um, and even businesses do, you know, you know, self-auditing and having this ledger to actually help their, their, professional auditors or accounting actually, you know, figure out where things came and went. So that's one area I think that that really hasn't come to light yet, but it will. There's a couple others there. If, you know, Jen, if you want to get one or two others, I can jump into those. But as I think about it here, the other one that maybe hasn't come to light, that's a unique use that maybe isn't popular yet as it, I expect it to be, is the whole concept of distributed storage and computing. So to summarize this, it, everybody knows what a supercomputer is. And, you know, it's these big central uh, boxes that are huge that can do, you know, I don't know, 
don't even know what the number is anymore, 500,000 teraflops per second. Um, well, with blockchain technology, you don't need that centralized computer right now. If people have spare processing cycles, they can, they can essentially put those cycles out there to be utilized, get paid for people utilizing those cycles. And if I'm a person I need, and I need a supercomputer and I need it for, let's say the next couple hours, I can pay to use that distributed processing. I can pay whatever crypto that is. And I pay the people that given giving up that those CPU cycles are getting paid. And it puts, if you have idle CPU cycles out there, why not put them to use? Um, it's, it's, it's more environmental, it works well, and, and it's, it's a better system. And the same, the same concept goes with uh, distributed storage. If you have, if you have extra storage um, to store data, um, why not have that utilized? And uh, why not have both sides? I need storage. Well, I want to pay you for distributed storage. And if somebody has storage, I I'll be paid for it. Um, that's probably the other unique use case that I think we'll see in the future. It's just not quite here yet. It is one last, last one because I think it's relevant. And this kind of gets out of the business blockchain world a little bit, but at the same time, businesses are doing this. And, and if you're in this space, you're doing it, is the whole, the whole concept of voting. If, if blockchain is used in the whole voting process, you can keep secrecy. You can track, I can track my own vote to make sure it was counted. Um, and it, it just makes a much better process. And there are companies working on that. They're working on the whole voting concept uh, you know, with blockchain. And I'll tell you, the stuff they're coming up with is much better than the current systems. And I think, I think within the next couple of years, we're going to see, um, you know, a smaller country or two out there for their voting actually go fully blockchain. I think that will happen. Uh, there's some great companies working on it, even some companies that actually even make voting systems working on blockchain solutions. And I think that'll be, that'll be superior. Those are probably the top three that I think are a little bit un more unique, Jen. Interesting. Um, I'm interested in, the, in all three of those are, are quite fascinating. I want to go back to you said, so in the future, you see blockchain as the primary business technology for business transactions. We've already talked about security and you said not to worry. We, the system itself is, the platform itself is secure. Are there any other hesitations with enterprise blockchain technology? Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know, I think, you know, the hesitation there is a lot of it is because it's something new. It's something maybe unknown. And a bigger thing is, you know, finding the people that know blockchain, know how to build on blockchain, there's not many out there. And um, again, there's probably, you know, if I focus on the U.S. here, there's probably only a couple hundred people that in the U.S. that actually fully get blockchain and actually could do an enterprise scale type of implementation on blockchain. It's not that many. So, um, and those resources are hard to get and they're expensive. So I think it's, 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 a, it's a resource deficit right now that is hindering it. And that is one of the hesitations a lot of people have when they see how much it's going to cost and that you have to get on a timeline here that you're not even going to have the resources for three, four months down the road to even do what you want to do. So I think that's a big area of hesitation almost, almost more than anything else right now. Um, and, and that's the hindrance. I mean, other than that, there's not that much hindrance you know, to businesses adopting it. All right, let me shift focus a little bit. You mentioned D-apps or de decentralized applications, a, a, a phrase that's, or a term that's new to me. Can you tell me what these are? Sure, yeah, and D-apps are pretty simple. It's quite honestly, they don't look much different on the surface than a normal app you use every day from a normal app you download or use online. But underneath that front layer, D-apps are unique because they, they record transactions on, on, on that chain, on that ledger. And many times we'll use smart contracts to hold those details of transactions on, you know, how a future transaction will be completed. So, you know, many times they'll use uh, the James crypto asset too, the, the, the currency to pay for the transaction to settle payments. If you really think of dApps are really front ends built on top of blockchains. And they, they, it's, it's almost a better platform from that perspective because you have that integrity of the blockchain behind that, that, that application. And I, a good, this is a little bit dated example, but just because I participated in a lot going back a few years. Um, a good example is, is the Augur network. So um, it's a network for transaction, transaction kind of contracts among individuals. It, it has a front end that's actually, you know, it looks pretty normal. It looks like a little trading platform, but it entirely resides on the Augur blockchain, that entire, that entire uh, uh, decentralized application. And it looks like a normal app from the front end, but behind the scenes, it's it's recording and fulfilling everything on the Augur, on the Augur blockchain. There's no central local database where everything is stored, and the transactions are essentially uh, P2P. They're person to person. There's no central authority within that transaction because you are using the blockchain. 
And I think that's just one example that shows kind of what DApps are. And we can go back to, you know, again, going back years, like something like CryptoKitties, which was on the, you know, a, a blockchain DApp, which was, you know, gamifying, a uh, gamifying, a, you know, a, you know, a blockchain essentially. So the list goes on and on, but if we just think of, think of DApps as really applications where instead of having maybe a traditional database on the back end, they have a blockchain that is honestly for a lot of applications where there's transactions on those applications is a better platform than a traditional database. And you said, did you say CryptoKitties? Yeah, CryptoKitties, that goes back a little bit, but that was kind of like the first first D app that really got a lot of traction. Okay. I, I don't know, maybe that's maybe four or five years ago, but it was essentially you could buy a digital, a digital kitty. Um, like a like a cat or uh, yeah, like a, well, yeah, they kind of look like cats, but uh, they were essentially did rep, digital rep, representations of cats, and you could breed them and everything else, and you could it was a game, you know, it was gamified. So, but it was just kind of okay. funny that the first the first big use of DApps was from kind of a little cheesy game, for lack of a better term. <laughs> but, uh, but some of those crypto kitties were going for a lot of money. I can tell you that. <laughs> okay, understood. So let's let's pivot from crypto kitties to cryptocurrency. Um, blockchain technology is linked with Bitcoin and the broader concept of cryptocurrency. What are some of the uses of crypto right now? Yeah, and just to jump back briefly, I, I think I said earlier on, but you know, crypto needs blockchain, but you don't. But blockchain tech doesn't need really need cryptos. But but crypto is one of the great uses of blockchain, and to have a coin attached to a blockchain for payments for. Um, smart contracts and reward, reward miners and users and providers is 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 really a, a great advantageous evolution of the technology of blockchain. And um, when blockchain was kind of put forth, it was considered as that method. But um, it's important to keep them kind of separate here. But we you know we've seen an explosion of uses in the last couple of years. As, you know, as crypto has become more mainstream, everybody knows what cryptocurrency now is. Everybody knows what Bitcoin is. It's no longer hidden. It's it's no longer uh, only you know tech people know about it. And we're always seeing major retailers, financial institutions. You know, PayPal now you can do crypto on PayPal. Visa, I, Visa just came out going to say they're going to start accepting um, crypto through their network. So it's becoming mainstream so quickly here, especially in the last six months. And uh, there's, at this point, there's no turning back. Outside of major regulation from governments and things like that, it, it, it's moving forward quickly. And uh, um, that kind of initial dream that Satoshi had with Bitcoin of it becoming a currency is is starting to happen. We're starting to see that, and um, and so that that's the great evolution of cryptocurrency here. And it, it, as far as keeping up to date on all the cryptocurrencies out there, all the alt currencies, it's impossible today. There's a new one being released every day. It has its own use case. Um, it's a full-time job just to keep up with them. And you can't, there's, you know, there's 4,000 traded cryptocurrencies right now. Um, I could probably name maybe a hundred, maybe a hundred or 200. And that's about it. I couldn't name the other, you know, three, 4,000. That would be impossible. And even what their business cases are. So it, it's huge, huge ecosystem out there. And there's a lot of great ones. If you dig in a lot of great ones out there that are just doing some really innovative stuff. I was going to say over the past several months, we've seen a run up in prices, um, in valuation for for Bitcoin and and these other cryptocurrencies, is there is there real value here? Uh, yeah, th- this is this is one area where I've always seen the value, and the value is real. And uh, almost all the major cryptocurrencies, any of the top ones out there, do have that intrinsic value. You know, it, it kind of frustrates me not to get negative here, but it frustrates me <laughs> when I hear people, you know, like Warren Buffett or uh, Janet Yellen or Damon or Jamie Dimon. Um, and even most politicians and many others saying, you know, crypto is worthless. You know, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's it's all these other negative terms they use, which is just it, it, it's just totally incorrect. They're, they're flat out wrong. Um, and either I, I think either they don't understand it or they have a special interest against it. So most most crypto platform platforms out there um, do have the intrinsic value and they have more than the U.S. dollar, more than gold, more than diamonds. And the list goes on and on. Ethereum, it's the second largest uh, by market cap blockchain out there. It, it's its the most built on top of crypto type uh, blockchain out there. And to use Ethereum for almost anything, for dApps, for smart contracts, you have to spend either. Either is the, the you know, the, the, the crypto that uh, the Ethereum blockchain uses. The more the chain is used, the more demand and the higher the price of Ether. Um, and just like Bitcoin, Ether has an associated development group and needs to innovate and, and you know, needs to move forward quick, quickly. Ethereum 2 was just released, which is really an advent for rapid innovation in Ethereum in the future. 
Um, and the other thing, like you know, Bitcoin, which is a little bit different than fiat currency, Bitcoin, Ethereum, most of the cryptocurrencies out there do have limitations, or they have a set um, release of the crypto coin, cryptocurrency ongoing for miners. So when you have supplies that are capped, any increased use of that and any increase in the valuation, you know, makes sense. Where you have kind of the U.S. dollar, I'll use an example here. The supply can vary. You know, it can it can vary at whims of the federal government of stimulus packages of inflation, um, and you know, many times destroying the value of anyone holding cash. So there's all these cryptos out there, and again, hundreds have you know just intrinsic value that is just it's incredible. I mean, it, it, it's there. It has value, and if you understand the model, they definitely have value, and it's intrinsic. And 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 you know, we see the use of certain crypto going up, and we see the value going up at the same time. So there is a relationship there. I think a lot of just people don't understand it because it's 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 more abstract the value that that something like Bitcoin has, um, but Bitcoin has a value as an investor. It has value as um, as a blockchain. Um, has value as a hedge. Has just tons of value that that it that's out there. You know, I've been saying it for ten years. If if you don't own some crypto, you know, in your portfolio, in your investment por- portfolio for the long term. Um, you know, for lack of a better term, you're an idiot. You know, you should you should be investing in in blockchain. Um, uh, you know, some of the crypto out there. So, you know, I always tell people take the time to understand. You know, some of the newer crypto and their use cases and their management team behind them, the development team behind them, and see what makes sense to add. Um, it's it's a great hedge. It works very well. It's it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be very volatile, of course, um, as any you know new asset coming on the market would be. But long term, um, you know, it, it's it's a good investment. Plus, it's a hedge. It's a hedge if something happens to the U.S. dollar. It's a hedge against you know negative worldwide events. You have a hedge because now you have this this crypto that you can literally take with you anywhere. Um, you don't you don't uh, you can you can use it if you're overseas. You can use it in the U.S. You can use it if the if if something happens. You you know so it, it's. You can spend it. You can spend it like money if you need to. So you can use its utility. So it, it does have value. What I'm getting at is it does have value. And it really frustrates me when I hear people say <laughs> that, uh, you know, crypto does not have value because the value is there. And I I'll, I'll, you know, I could spend an hour on any one of these and, and go through exactly where all the value is. Any yeah. one of the big cryptos out there. And I, it's, just, it, it, it's, just, it's just one of my things that, uh, that I don't like to hear. Point taken. And I won't, I won't take offense to the fact that um, you said that you're an idiot if you don't have it, because I don't have any, but I'm going to run out and, and make sure that I get some. So, I, say, I, say, I say that kind of jokingly, but you know, <laughs> I just say that just because, you know, I, I've had, I've been telling people that for a long time and it's, uh, but you got to do your research. It, yeah. It's not because it is highly unregulated. Um, you have to do your research there because there are, you know, people that are releasing crypto and putting crypto out there just to make money and run off with it. And, you know, so you have to do your due diligence, but that's on you. I think, you know, it's not, no, nobody's going to protect you from that mistake. Absolutely. So how hard is it to purchase and trade cryptocurrencies? And what are some of the dominant platforms? Sure, sure. Yeah. So it's gotten a lot easier in the last few years. And that, I think that's one of the good things, you know, there's great exchanges out, exchanges out there, like, uh, you know, Coinbase is probably the most popular one in the U.S., which they just announced that they're, they're doing their IPO and going public probably, you know, sometime in the next few months. So that's really the first big um, crypto exchange, um, to go public. You also have Gemini, Kraken, which are the big ones in the U S they, they make it very easy to buy and sell crypto with USD. Well, I guess relatively easy. The, the hard parts that were, that remain there are really with us regulations about these being money transmitters or, you know, have to follow some, follow some banking reg- regulations. So the signups are very complicated with, with know your customer rules. There's dollar limits. There's banking transfer limitations. There's reporting that you have to worry about, um, and they make it much harder than it should be to, to use. So if you're outside the U.S., though, um, you know you could take exchanges like Binance. There's a lot of other you know exchanges out there outside the U.S. where you don't have those difficulties in the sign-up process, and literally you could, in I would say 30 seconds, you could be trading crypto, and you can do it that quick. Um, from going from no crypto to trading crypto, crypto could take you about 30 seconds with some, with some of the platforms outside the U.S. So again, the regulation is different there, but um, it's gotten very, very easy to do. Um, and Coinbase is the one I recommend just because it's easy. It's, it's meant for the average consumer. But at the same time, they're going to take the highest fees. 
when you do anything there. They're going to take their own fee, plus the there's other fees involved in crypto, but they're going to take a fee. So, um, uh, but that that's the obvious one. Um, so, I, you know, I think uh, what I guess you know another point I'll get into now since we already I already talked about it at the open was decentralized exchanges, and where a lot of this, a lot of this is heading are to these decks, which these are crypto exchanges that are fully blockchain based. So there's no central authority. They're open 24 seven, very little special interest involved. There's low cost transactions and it's all there to trade crypto. And so these are, these are where all the exchanges are headed, including the traditional stock exchanges that we know so well. And, you know, one, one little thing that still, still kind of amazes me that in this day and age, you know, if I think of, of stocks that we trade, equities that we trade, we can't do it 24 seven. If we wanna trade a stock at 11 PM on a Saturday, we can't, in, in gen, you can, but in general, it's very hard for the retail trader to trade stock at, you know, on a Saturday night. But these decentralized exchanges, you can trade anytime you want 24 seven. Um, any, you know, just exchanges, exchanges, you're often paying a high transaction fees. You're, you have many middlemen all taking a percentage off that transaction, especially taking advantage of retail investors. We have you know brokerages out there that are pre-selling your trades so people can jump ahead of you, um, and you know we have you know certain trades being shut down by platforms because we because you know they may have a special interest in not allowing to trade that security. So decentralized exchanges that's one of the big innovations. Uh, Uniswap is probably the biggest one out there, and they've only been around geez I think a year, maybe a little bit longer. But um, again, you can. It's all P2P. It's a it's a decentralized exchange. You can exchange from crypto to crypto. It's amazing how it works, how fast it is, how little transaction fees there. And that's the way the future for all these type of exchanges. And and kind of going back to that, and as we get into decentralized exchanges, I think it's something that's very relevant is the whole uh, you know GameStop scenario, which, mm -hmm. which we've run into, where you had a Reddit Reddit group called uh, Wall Street Bets that really drove up the price of GameStop to under the the cause of having a lot of big investment institutions cover their short positions. Um, and first off, my little personal opinion here, I don't think it was really a strike against the, the big institutional investments out there. I don't think that necessarily was their main goal. Their main goal is for, you know, some people on that board to, to make money. Because, you know, I can tell you, you know, being involved in that business that, you know, the large traders out there are making tons of money off the volatility from GameStop. I mean, they're, they're, they love that and they love that. So it's not a big strike against institution. We only saw one kind of suffer from some of the, the short covering there. But as, as this was occurring, you know, we, we saw many stock trading platforms like Robinhood and TD Ameritrade, some of the big ones out there. They prevented customers from buying GameStop stock and many other stocks that they thought the same thing was happening in. And that's an issue. And I think it's come, come to light that um, that maybe wasn't the best idea for uh, Robinhood, and they kind of came back and allowed some limited trading and things like that. And uh, there were financial requirements that they had to meet that maybe maybe arguably they had to stop to stop stop some trades. But with with a decentralized exchange, um, it gets rid of that. The big guy, little guy, does not have an unfair advantage in a, in a decentralized exchange world. So I think the pattern is as we find out again and again in blockchain is that technology creates more open and fair transactions and applications. It, it's better than a traditional way of doing it. And I, I, I think, you know, this is really where things are headed. And, and I, I think one thing, I, it's hard to disagree on this, that, that openness, direct transactions are better than heavily centralized, um, everybody taking a piece type of transactions. And I, I think that's one of the concepts of blockchain. And I think, most people agree that that's actually a better way to do things. So I, th I think on a, you know, as we talk about crypto and exchanges, maybe one last note here that um, that one of the things that you can do with crypto, which is another unique concept that if you're going to invest in it, is your crypto exists on that blockchain. It doesn't exist on an exchange. So you can't always trust every exchange out there. If an exchange wants to run away with your money, they can, because if they have your private keys, they're going to run away with, run away with your money. And that has happened in the past. Uh, Mount Gox in Japan, there's an Australian one that, you know, somebody essentially, they had, a, they had a, an issue or somebody run, ran away with the crypto that people had on those exchanges. So again, with Coinbase, Gemini, cracking, you're, you're, you're very, very little risk there. But when you get to exchanges 
that are maybe a little less trustworthy do have that threat there. But the great thing about blockchain is you do not have to have your crypto on an exchange. There's great hardware wallets out there like Ledger or Trezor that you can get, that you can literally have that, have that store your private keys. So your crypto will only exist on the blockchain and you can decipher that blockchain with your Ledger or Trezor and you don't have to use an exchange at all. So a great concept and just something that people never thought of. So imagine it's like a bank account without having a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something you can do. So you have control of your money. And uh, so I always recommend, you know, never leave your crypto on exchange too long. Um, great for putting money in and out, but you should really look into more of the hardware wallets and, and kind of owning your own private keys if you're if you're a longer term investor in, in crypto. And are there any potential issues with crypto um, or that crypto is facing right now? Yeah, the big threat is surprisingly regulation. And um, you're already seeing, you know, regulation happening and some special interest around these regulations that is are really hampering some of the crypto innovations. That is really the only threat at this point is a regulation. We're seeing different regulation among different countries. We see a lot of um, crypto type innovations moving outside the U.S. right now, which is, which is kind of sad to see because the regulation environment in the U.S. is kind of... Uh, maybe not the best and maybe not that well, doesn't have much direction. You know, I, I think one, th- one thing we hear about, and we especially heard it more recently with the rise of uh, the pricing, the price of Bitcoin, is we've heard a lot of people come out and say, you know, Bitcoin is used for money laundering. It's used by bad actors. And, I, you know, I'm sure there's some of that, but you have to realize that the vast majority of crypto transactions are, are not by bad actors, they're not for money laundering. And even the highest estimates of you know money laundering in crypto is just a minuscule minuscule percentage of of, of the total transaction volume. It's, it's such a small percentage. And I'm sure there's some in there, but you have to realize that um, the biggest um, money money laundering platforms is USD through U.S. banks. Look at some of the settlement settlements recently out there, and in with the U.S. banks, and you'll see you know hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars going through. Uh, through U.S. banks using USD and money laundering, and USD, uh, U.S. dollars cash is another one of the biggest things used for money laundering throughout the world. So, one, one misconception about crypto is that it's not traceable and it's hidden, and that is exact opposite of what crypto is. So, one one offset of a blockchain is is that every transaction is trackable. You can't hide a transaction on a blockchain. You just you just can't do it. So you can track these these transactions. There's great Companies make great analytics tools to run through transaction ledgers and actually make sense of them. You can track the flow of illicit funds. Um, Sometimes you can actually follow up and get identities of where those illicit funds originated and who they originated from. But once once you have a pool of funds identified as illicit, you can track that forever. Um, And you already see that happening in some of these blockchains where they know there's some tokens on a blockchain that, that were obtained you know, illicitly, and they won't allow those tokens to come in their exchange, for example. So it's even easier. I, I, can, I can track I can track cryptocurrency much better than I can track U.S. dollars. Um, even with all the regulation we have around U.S. dollars, I can still track cryptocurrency much better. So, you know, that I, I don't really believe the money laundering argument, and uh, I think that's often a scapegoat that that many organizations use and politicians use to kind of paint it in a bad picture. So the other big problem in the U.S. right now is around the, the 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 confusing regulation around the whole blockchain and crypto world. We have um, we have the IRS that that has that has made a decision that crypto is an asset. So what does that mean? So it means that if you go into Starbucks and you want to buy coffee with Bitcoin, which you can do, you, you can go to any Starbucks in the U.S. right now and buy buy coffee with Bitcoin. You can do that. However, Based on that transaction, because you spent Bitcoin, that's according to the IRS, that's a capital gain. And that t- transaction, you got to go back and you got to figure out what that capital gain was on that $3 and, and pay taxes on it and declare it in your taxes and decide. And um, and that's the primary reason that really like crypto is not used for transactions, especially in the US right now, is because of that requirement, because the IRS sees it as, as an asset. Um, so everybody's still waiting for better direction from the IRS on you know some of cryptocurrencies how to handle it from an asset perspective but you know the funny thing is when you look at other parts of the government other regulation you'll see exactly the opposite they'll say well crypto is a currency and not an asset mm-hmm. 
and needs to be regulated as, as such. It needs to be regulated as, as a money transmitter. It needs to be regulated as a bank if you want to use it. So you hear both sides of it. And it's just so yeah. confusing. And there's no direction from the U.S. government on that. And any way you go, you lose. So one, one negative side, of, side effect of this is if we've already seen this. We've, there has been people, there's one case in Florida not that long ago where people have been put in jail, you know, just for, just for you know, simply ex- exchanging U.S. dollars for cryptocurrency over a dinner table um, because they weren't registered as money transmitters. So it's very frustrating to actually, you know, kind of see what's what's happening here. And um, I, I think there's obviously, you know, again, laws and politicians. We we know where a lot of the money comes from, and and um, it comes from big banks, comes from big financial entities, and and it's it, not a bad thing. But but there's an emphasis to kind of slow up the adoption of blockchain and crypto because of that. And once these entities, these large entities, once the exchanges catch up, once the banking catch, catches up, once financial industry catches up. Then you're going to see these regulations be more defined. So as that race happens, unfortunately, the U.S. is falling behind in a lot of that, and um, you know, losing losing a lot of a lot of momentum here. And this, you know, the the biggest technology revolution of the last thirty years, and the U.S. isn't leading it, which is scary, because they could be and they should be. At the top of the podcast, you mentioned the term DeFi or decentralized finance, and identified it as one of the hottest areas in blockchain right now. Um, can you tell us what DeFi is and who the big players are? Sure. And uh, yeah, so DeFi, I mean, geez, I don't think I don't think I even knew the term if I go back a year. So you want to talk about something that's taken the world by storm. Something I'm incredibly excited about. And and this is something you'll be hearing about nonstop in the near future. I mean, if you don't already hear about decentralized finance or DeFi, you, you will. I mean, this year, you're going to hear so much about, much about it as it goes more mainstream. The best way I can summarize it, is DeFi is essentially, you know, all the functions of a traditional bank, which we know, without a bank. So this includes lending, it includes borrowing, it includes earning interest, but with additional benefits of, a, of, of the blockchain. So, you know, some of the biggest players out there are BlockFi, Celsius, Nexo, and there's more, honestly, coming online every day. The innovation there is just incredible. If you, if you have cash in your bank account, or even a business that has a lot of cash in your bank account, and you're earning that, you know, that if you have a savings account at your bank and you're earning a fraction of a percent of interest, which with, you know, as the devaluation of the dollar, you're, you're actually losing money. With DeFi, honestly, right now, you can be earning 10% on that money. And if you're outside the US, just to get back in that top again, you can refer to 14% or even higher and relatively safely if, if you know how to, to balance your risk. And if you want to take even more risk into account, you could look into yield farming and some of the auto balancing tools out there. And you're talking about some of those are paying out hundreds of percent of interest in a year on those. So, you know, it's a little bit more complex, a little bit more risk there, but you know, th- this is real. And uh, when I say that 10%, that 10% isn't going away tomorrow. It's not just a temporary, you know, high percentage point, you know, some of these, you know, Nexo has been paying out 10%, you know, they've been paying it out for the last six months. So DeFi is the biggest disruptor and, and it's disrupting traditional banking and more. And I think I really see it as a system where every, everyone wins. And uh, again, there's so much innovation there. It's every day a new one comes out. It'd be a full-time job again to even keep track of all the things out there, I mean, all the innovations coming out, all the brilliant minds behind it too. Some of the, some of the transactions that are done behind the scenes for the balancing, for the, uh, for the pools, for the crypto pools out there. Um, for the way it's lended and borrowed, it's it just mind-boggling. You would honestly need a, you know, a, a, a chart as big as a wall just to show where everything moves and how it's done. And it's not, it's understandable. It's just very complex to actually get these percentages paid out. And it's, it's at the end of the, at the end of the day, as a business or a consumer, you get paid that percentage, and that's a game changer. And where do you think DeFi is headed in the next year? So. You know, I, I think we'll we'll soon be in you know the odd scenario where if you don't have some of your money in DeFi or using it for either side of a DeFi transaction, um, it would be very odd. And I think as we see DeFi become more institutionalized, more some of the financial world, even the banks getting into it has become more commonplace. I think you're going to see a lot of banks, a lot of financial institutions set up a DeFi option. Um, you know, that they'll have in parallel to the existing banking system. And, um, I, you know, even, even this past year, I, I mean, surprising, I, I've seen companies with some of their cash balances on their balance sheet 
move some of that money into DeFi. You know, instead of making almost no buying a CD, which we've traditionally done, or putting in treasury bills and making almost no no interest, they put a portion in DeFi solutions. And, and why would you not if you could earn that interest? So I think where is it headed? I think as a person, we're really not that far off from having your home mortgage through a DeFi platform in which the you know your house has been tokenized. We're really not that far off. And I'm sure somebody's working on that right now and is probably going to release it in a week. And so I think the, the innovation there is just incredible. And again, I can't stress how much that spend some time learning about DeFi, you know, can benefit you personally, but it's also important to know where this is headed because it's it's taking over the financial world. And anywhere a transaction is done in the financial world, decentralized finance is there. And it's just moving so quick, a lot of innovators. And we're, you know, I'm always seeing the mad rush behind the scenes of the big institutions, the big bankers getting behind it and, and, and trying to adopt it for their, before they're disrupted. And so we're seeing that. Um, so as you can see, John, I'm very excited about DeFi and that's probably one of the areas that I'm, that I, you know, I just love. That sounds like it. And you, you said disruption. So I wanna get to regulation. Um, where do you see regulation headed with DeFi? Yeah, so I, you know, I think that's a little bit unknown. Um, you know, right now, if I just, you know, because I'm familiar with U.S. regulation, it's, you know, as, you know, I can go on some of these platforms and, you know, Celsius or Nexo, and I, I can earn that 10% as a U.S. citizen. But if I'm not a U.S. citizen, I can earn 12, 14, 15, 16% um, because they don't have the restrictions that we have on, we have in the U.S. So, you know, right there, there's a disadvantage to being a U.S. person. That's a lot of wealth lost to a U.S. consumer or U.S. business already because of the restrictions. So, you know, the regulation is having an impact already. And that's why you're starting to see um, some of these biggest solutions out there. They're not based in the U.S., which some, some are, you know, some are based in the U.S., but we're seeing more of the big ones, more of the upcoming ones outside the U.S. They can, they can do more without having the U.S. regulation over them. And we're also seeing, so one thing we are seeing too, we're seeing hundreds of entities trying to get bank charters as essentially crypto banks to meet the U.S. banking requirements. So like Wyoming is already doing a lot about that. They've kind of mm -hmm. opened up their banking charter system to uh, what we call crypto banks. And uh, we even saw recently a, a crypto exchange I already mentioned, Kraken, had their banking charter approved. And uh, th this is a game changer. It's, it's as you now have a decentralized finance, you know, working within the bounds of, of the U.S. regulatory banking system. But there are still barriers even Kraken's going through, getting other states, getting a federal charter, that's still a long ways off. But you know, in Wyoming, Kraken, Kraken is a is a crypto bank and they have they can do everything a bank can do, but they do it with crypto. Um, so great, you know, great innovations. We're, we're seeing a change here. It's just it's a big race right now. It's a race between the regulators, a race between decentralized finance, and at somewhere there'll be a, there'll be a balance point in there, but I just don't know how far that is off. And I don't know how much the US will lose until that balance is reached. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is, this is really fascinating, Peter. Um, I'm going to ask you one final question. I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, a lot has been stated that blockchain is on the level of the industrial revolution and the invention of the internet in terms of its potential to change the world. Do you agree or disagree and why? Ooh, um, so, you know, I, you know, ch you know, changing the world, you know, what does that mean? And I, I think I, I, I kind of see, you know, blockchain, tech of being the next next innovation on top of the internet. You know, I think we had the internet revolution and now we're having the blockchain revolution. You know, and, and ironically, I mean, I compare the two, there are some great blockchain solutions out there right now that are trying to uh, improve or create their own internet, internet already. So we're already seeing that. And it's kind of funny that, you know, we have, now we have blockchain trying to even disrupt, you know, the internet. So, you know, I. It, it, it's a big change. And I, I think, you know, the exp exponential acceleration and the adoption of blockchain and the use cases of blockchain in the last couple of years is just so, it's so rapid. It really is exponential. It's increasing very, very quickly. Um, and it, so I almost consider the next phase of the internet. And, uh, you know, and I, I think it, it's like, you know, if you go back, you know, 20, 30 years, it, you know, just like the internet, you need to either adopt it use it or fall behind. And I think with blockchain, it's the same way. And I also put my realist hat on and saying, there was a little bit too much hype in blockchain. If I go back, if I go back five, six, seven years when blockchain was just coming out. And I think, and I was even the person saying that's 
you know, we still have to see some good use cases here. We have to still have to see some more implemented before we can actually get behind this. And uh, that's happened. So again, being, being a realist, it, it, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge opportunity. You should know about it. You should have to know about the platform, but at the same time, um, it, it, it's a disruptor. I just don't know how fast it's going to happen. And it's going to happen in different ways than we think of, you know, I would never thought of decentralized finance being such the, the rapid mover that, that it's been in the last year. And uh, I'm sure there'll be other things that come up like that, that'll move just as fast. So, you know, I'm very excited to see what the next year brings. Um, and, you know, I say next week, but I, you know, next year, but I also mean next week, you know, what's next week, <laughs> you know, what's going to happen next week in the blockchain world. I, I don't know. All right. Thank you so much for your time today, Peter. It was really great speaking with you. And I, I must admit, I have learned a ton over the last, um, uh, over the last hour. Great. Well, we, you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, Jen, this was great. And, uh, you know, thank you much for your time and the great work that business talent group does. And uh, I look forward to doing this again. We see, you know, what, you know, how blockchain advances in, you know, in, in the short term here. As a reminder, I'm Jennifer Napier for BTG Insights On Demand. And today we've been talking with independent consultant and executive Peter Wolkwitz. You can read more of Peter's thoughts on the potential blockchain for business and other technology trends on the BTG blog. To start a project with Peter or one of the thousands of other independent talent with today's most in-demand high-tech skills, visit businesstalentgroup.com. Thanks so much for listening.